When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. At Jupiter Artland. Yay! That's right, that's right. It's a Talk Art Live, everybody. And we are here in Edinburgh, aren't we, Rob? How are you feeling today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling like I'm in a shame spiral. Right. I, I, I think, in fact, I might even feel publicly shamed because we were in front of a live audience <gasps> of Edinburgh legends. And uh, <laughs> um, today we are with a guest um, who's very dear to our heart. And this show is one part of it is called Shame Spiral. And the exhibition is called Shitfaced. And we are sat right now within this incredible ballroom, which honestly is a work of art in its own right yeah. the 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 ceiling um is just the most incredible decorated kind of traditional um i don't know how you describe that what do you well, it's exquisitely it's, it feels traditional kind of casting on this on the roof but it's also very contemporary plaster plaster, plaster. It's very elegant. And um, within this room is a new installation by our guest. And um, this is a whole body of brand new work made in 2023 this year, um, all by the hands of the person sitting next to me. And they're all self-portraits. And we're going to be exploring why this exhibition is called Shitfaced <laughs> and, <Yes. laughs> what, what, and what this shame spiral may be. So we would like to welcome to Talk Art the living legend, Lindsay Mendick. It, <laughs> it actually, it never gets old, like just seeing them do that and actually like watching, I don't know, I'm, I'm uh, nervous. Yes. Don't be nervous, don't be nervous. Oh, so it's gone now. So we, okay, <laughs> See, that's all it takes. We did this for the first time two and a half years ago. We did. In October 2020. Yeah. And on my 40th your, yeah, birthday. Yeah, 40th birthday. Yeah. And we didn't know each other. We were, well we were becoming friends, yeah. but now we're best buds. I know, and think how much has changed. What, what is what that? Ha- a lot yeah. has changed in like two to three years. Your your career has exploded. Your life is. We know we're in Edinburgh now for a solo I show. Know. Your first show in Scotland. I know. Um, when you just said that, it's the first time I kind of paused and thought, "Fuck, what has happened? Like, what have I? How did all of this happen?" But I think. Um, there's been a lot of not looking back and just kind of running with it. And this is kind of the last show I'm going to do for a while. I want a break. <laughs> what, and what, what, is a, what does a break look like for you? Uh, being a better partner, not, not taking up so much space with my own work. Maybe, I know, Guy, I will look after the dog. Looking after our dog more. He's, he's, he's in the front row of the dog. Really His so dog, Telly. And Lindsay's partner, Guy. Yes. <laughs> So I think it's, I think quite often, especially if you're a a woman in art, you kind of get worried about things running out or opportunities drying up. And as hard as I do try, I'm just always thinking about like, you know, how do we support ourselves? How do we support Quench, the gallery that we do? 
And so it's been quite difficult to take your foot off the pedal. But I'm just hoping that just, I mean, I'm a workaholic. I'm just going to go back in the studio, but it's just going to be like, not this big. (laughs) And actually, a word I would use for you is a kind of overachiever in many ways. You always excel at what you do. And in the past year, there's been some extraordinary exhibitions which have introduced a much wider audience Mm. to your work, including the Hayward Gallery, which was a room called Till Death Do Us Part. And you walked inside and it was like five rooms of a house. Mm. And at that point, I was like, this is the most epic thing you'll ever do in my my head. But actually arriving here in Edinburgh, you've you've, um, surpassed yourself once again. I think... With works like that, they are. I kind of talk about. I'm so sorry. I'm nervous. I'm going to breathe. <sighs> <laughs> um, I've thought that these shows are calling cards, in some sort of respect. Like, as an artist, you don't know who does want to work with you or what galleries do want to work with you. So, I feel like all you can do is put the truest work out there, and then someone then is like, enti- I'm just about to say, enticed. <laughs> But like attracted to it and then you're attracting the people who want to take it on. And then with this installation and this show, um, I'm just looking into like Nikki's eyes. <laughs> I fell very in love with Nikki and wanted to make her the best thing possible. Who's, who's Nikki? My love. Your love. <laughs> Nikki Naki New. Um, she's, she's the woman who dreamt up Jupiter. And you kind of have to match her scale and vision and her dreams. So... You kind of, well, it was one of the loveliest things ever because Rob came into the studio. So Rob is now my gallerist and Carl. And he looked at all the, the whole body, this whole body of work. And he said, you've made your best work because you love Nikki and Robert so much. Wow. And like, I was like, that's so true. It's like, I'm really trying. It's like a really trying to not disappoint them. And, I, and they haven't put that pressure on me. It's more a thing of like, Last year, we came here for Tracy's opening. So, and Tracy was like, Lindsay, I think you... Uh, now my stories are so much better, aren't they? Than two and a half years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Tracy rung me and I was in bed. And I was yeah. like, and she's like, I think you should come to my show at Jupiter. I was like, oh, okay. And she was like, come on. And I was like, yeah, all right, fine, fine, Tracy. And then we had the most like magical weekend here. Like the most hedonistic weekend I've ever had in my life. And it was like everyone had rescue remedy. You know, everyone was swimming in the pool. Everyone was dancing. It was like, um, it was just one of the most perfect times I've ever had. And then they asked me back to do the show. And it kind of felt like, wow, how do I match or emulate the best time that I've ever had in my life. And also at that point... Apart from meeting Guy and loving Guy. (laughs) (laughs) At at that that point, you'd also just put together a giant exhibition in Margate, which they then came to see, called Off With Her Head, which Mm. we haven't spoken about on the podcast before. And I think that was a really seminal moment for you, that exhibition. And there are echoes of it within this exhibition Mm. too, even in the way that in this room, there's this huge kind of um, set piece in a way. It's almost like a stage set or a film set. Mm. And you can walk behind it and you actually see the wood elements of it of the structure so it's a kind of it's got a front and a back and I think your show off with her head really had that environment of like walking into a seeing backstage yeah I I think um one of the things that happened was when I and it's so important for artists to hear stuff like this but like when I did off with her head I was supported by your gallery monetarily like before I was trying to do everything on a shoestring and it was the first time that I was able to like employ Eloise Varley, who's Ladywood, and she does set production. And it took the scale, you lot helped me to take the scale of what I was imagining and really being able to put it onto paper. Mm. 
Because every time before I'd be like, I want to do this. And people would be like, no, you can't achieve. I don't think you can achieve that. And so what happens when I now work with Eloise is she brings all the drawings. We say like, this is what we're going to do. And it gives me like a sort of confidence that sometimes I don't have within myself. And then you two sort of pulled it out and made sure that we did that three sort of three pronged room. And then since then, I don't think I've looked back. And in that show, there was a <laughs> there was a theme of like women being cancelled throughout history, through hundreds of years. Yeah, I think I think it's one of the things that as a woman, you kind of want to be successful to a point because after that point, you're a danger and people don't know what to do with you especially when you're past it when you're getting older as a woman when you're going past 30 it looks like I mean I'm not going to be having children so what do we do with me what am I meant to be doing and that show was really trying to like celebrate all these women that we kind of like as you know through the fodder of tabloid have cancelled or have shamed because of their wants and desires and or just for being like for holding the desire of men or then losing that desire, like with Anne Boleyn. And I really wanted to do a show that was talking about this crooks in my life when I was like, if I, not like if I keep on being really successful, but like if I, if I keep on going further, there's going to be this inevitable decline, like that I'll get to this point where you could sort of become a villain, if that makes sense. And I was looking at these women throughout history and I just really wanted to honour them. Mm. And I really wanted just to be like... And and the stories are worse and worse than what we've done to women. I mean, there's so many, like, so many, like, minority groups as well, but, like, it's that we've done the same thing too. But it's just seeing it all laid out and then when people ask you why you are the way you are, this is why, this is what I'm trying to say. It's not like a judgmental thing. I'm just trying to explore history and see, say, why do I act in this way? Why do I feel like this? Why do I feel like the sky isn't the limit? Why do I feel like there's a clock that's constantly running out for myself? And I think that show is really exploring it. And, but it was also through the guise of like, fun like let's do history but let's do it fun <laughs> yeah i mean humor and honesty are such huge themes for you and trying to balance that in your work is is really unique to you that you're able to do that because what you're revealing is so painful at times and honest and this is confessional. the most painful this show is, this show is yeah. so this is one of the hardest shows i don't even know why i did it it's like there's a thing of like a conception that i have and i can see that the show would be a good idea and then I'm in it and I'm talking about my personal relationship to drink, which like makes me have tears prick my eyes because there's so much shame for me related to alcohol. It's like, it's something that, you know, like in art was sponsored by alcohol. We have, you know, like there's so much of opening it. Opening like, night parties. Every yeah, year. everything. And, you know, like going to opening night, you're just running on empty, trying to do all of this sort of stuff. And then, but actually to talk about your personal relationship to it and not through the guise of characters. Like, so we'll have Fleabag or we'll have all of these characters that we're quite comfortable to sit with because they're not a real woman in front of you who has about well a, a relationship with drink and I was trying to I really wanted to go through and just work out like when did this point come that I because I'm not as confident I've it's I find stuff like this hard like I'm not as confident as I might seem and for me quite a lot of that confidence has come through like if I'm out and I'm partying I seem really confident but when I'm not doing that I'm like a ball of nerves. 
Right. And so Shame Spiral, which is the film, is really like... So the, I was looking at with this show, like the idea of shit-faced and two-faced and then the idea of a duality of self and like going back to the story of Jekyll and Hyde when he was in this sort of... I'm talking loads, sorry. It's great. You're here, you're here to talk. It's, it's Sometimes really, I just realise I've been talking It's really good on a podcast if you talk. In the words of Martine McCutcheon, in the words of Martine McCutcheon, this is your moment. This is my perfect moment perfect with you. Moment. Um, Jekyll and Hyde. Yes. So the when I read that and reread that, it's the most... Everyone knows the story, but the novella of it is so incredible because it's all told from the... The whole story is told from the point of view of Utterson, who's his lawyer, and saying, why is he, you know, what's he done wrong in his life that he's having this character hide that's controlling him? And we've all got now the skeletons in the closet, I think, for all of us, rattle harder than they ever had before. I feel like there was a time when we were more accepting that people had passed and grew and evolved. But now we're kind of are expecting this morality of people which I, I can't keep up with. And like this installation is called I Tried So Hard To Be Good because I'm constantly trying to be good. But there's something within me that I just get to a point that it starts suffocating me and like the work that I'm doing becomes far too much and it's overcompassing and all I want to do is just go to the pub and have a glass of wine with Guy and then I have that first glass of wine and then I just feel free and I breathe and for the first time in probably like that week, I'll breathe. Mm. And then I have a second glass and I'm breathing more. And then I'm on the third glass. And then it's like the eighth. Well, but like, you know, it's kind of trying to talk about for some women, it does go, or for me personally, it does go to that. And I think for a lot of the time with my work, I use it as a place to excavate something which I'm worried about and I'm personally just thinking about. And so with my partner, Guy, Jay Oliver, um, we've made a film which is called Shame Spiral and in like with the story of Jekyll and Hyde he's describing what I'm like when I'm not drinking or after drinking mm. and he's talking about me and how it affects our life and then we cut to why I do it like in the same thing in the novella in the novella in the novella there suddenly becomes a point that goes from Jekyll's point of view and he's like I'm sick of being good. I want to split myself. I want to be able to, I want to keep society. I want to keep my place, but I want to fuck stuff up. I want to, I feel so trapped. And I feel like for a lot of people, I really don't want to speak for other people on this subject, but I feel like alcohol, especially in Britain, is this thing that we use to lower our, our inhibitions. And I was saying, I don't know if I'd have ever even have lost my virginity without alcohol. Like, I felt so much shame about my body, about who I was. Like, it became this crutch for when I was a teenager, which I don't know if other people drank when they were teenager, but it's how I learned to socialise. And it was such a massive crutch for me. And I, I'm trying to explore all of that within this work because I feel like if no one starts talking about this then we're all going to get into really sad situations. Yeah, I mean, I was really touched when we had a screening last night um, 
in Nikki and Robert's house of the new film that you've just finished editing and guys finished editing. And um, there was a moment where you talk about being 13 years old and you actually used the title of the show, which was, you know, you were shit faced mm. and, um, and the kind of embarrassment that came from that initial um, experience of getting drunk for the first time. And what really resonated with me, like I never really drank in my teens at all. I was the opposite. But I remember being in parties when you were growing up, house parties and people's mm. homes, their parents would go away for the night. You all go around, the parents yeah. don't know that you're taking alcohol, you know, you know, going to have loads of beers and all this stuff. Fill and up your mum's vodka with water. It, it's a universal. It's, yeah, exactly. It's sort of rites of passage yeah. at that time, isn't but it? But like, we have these things in Britain that we say are rites of passages. Yeah. Like, you know, like we don't talk about Britain having a problem. And then actually you go to an airport and if you're going on holiday, you're allowed a pint at whatever time you get yeah, to that yeah, airport. Yeah. It can be three in the morning. You know, yeah. do you get what I mean? Like we have these things or like every sort of thing every joyous occasion has a toast of alcohol like every that's the way we reward ourselves and so it's really hard within society to kind of I don't know why I keep on saying society what's a better word for it but just it's hard to navigate and it's this sort of drug that does make you feel incredible and makes everything better until it makes everything shit and that's what the show's kind of trying to talk about so in the steadings <laughs> I've done this diorama. This is another gallery yeah. space. There's so, three spaces you've had Yeah, here. so like, and it's also like a duality of self with the work. So we're now in the ballroom where each one of these vases are, oh, I'm describing what I see. Yeah, <laughs> Catchphrase. On. Yeah, yeah. Um, Say what you see. <laughs> They're on this mirrored plinth and there's 12 white um, vases. And at the front, they've got this Victoriana sort of costumes and it's really funny because my mum saw them and she's my mum was a children's clothes designer and she was like she's, she's stolen bits of my looks <laughs> <laughs> but they're all wearing these sort of Victorian dress and then at the back we went to Japan and we saw this incredible exhibition which was about poison and natural poisons and so when you're looking in the mirror you can see like the real self is kind of bursting out of it and just like Utterson mm. in Jekyll and Hyde you get to be detective. It's not like we're showing it all off and saying this is work. It's for you to kind of peer in and navigate, you know, to kind of have your own tale about it. And then we go over to the Steadings and that's where it's like, it's talking about the nightclub and because I've made my own nightclub, which is called Dante Inferno's, which is the rings of hell. And um, <laughs> then there's the toilets, which I think is one of the most important places in any nightclub. It's like that sobering moment where you're, on your own and taken out of, like, when you go out of this incredibly... Well, it's the noise as well, yeah. isn't it, when the door closes and the, the club music's, like, muffled and yeah. you're in your, then you're in your own thoughts. Exactly. Yeah. And I worked with some incredible actors in Margate. It was actually... We recorded it in Tracy's school because she has great oh, toilets wow. there. <laughs> there was Kit, Dre, Sahela and Ted. But they kind of, like, it was the last thing that we recorded. And they were such great actors. And they came in and they just did those sorts of scenes on a night out. And, like, one of the best moments I've ever had is when someone's like, oh, my God, I love your hair. Like, I love your hair. And you're like, oh, my God, thank you. And in my phone, I probably got about 50 people called, like, Drunk Gail or, you know, new best friend. you like, <laughs> and we've never met up afterwards, ever. But there's that kinship in of that course. moment. So the exhibition is... I mean, the film is bloody sobering and I can't even go near it, can't watch it. But I want to be able to depict something that's even and unjudgmental. Like, 
the reason why people drink is because it is fun. You know, like people do like to celebrate, but also at the same time, I want to show the anxiety that comes with it. So is, is your work therapeutic for you? Do you get no. to the end of a body of work and you're like, you're, you're moved, you've shifted, you've changed? No, I don't know. I mean, like the kind of question of this show is like, would you give up drinking? Are you, is this show like a sort of show to sort of do that? And like, that is too neat and life isn't that yeah, neat. Yeah. And to say that I would work through all of this and then resolution would happen was really putting a great deal on art. Like, you know, do you know what I mean? I'm still complex, there's still things that will happen. And I, I don't want to put that pressure on myself again to be neater again. I don't know. And I'm kind of hoping that will make me have a bit more of a a better look at myself. I mean, to film yourself drunk or to watch a video of yourself drunk makes anyone assess, you know, what they do. And I, I want to assess it, but I don't know. And I don't want to set myself up for another thing to be ashamed of if I don't manage to get there. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. 100%. And I think it's really interesting if you think about British culture in particular, um, because we're obviously we've all grown up here but this idea of like binge drinking and the way that you can have like a whole week where you might not drink at all and then everything's really calm and then it all comes back again and you have I mean that you see of, you see me doing yeah. you see me doing like I work so I'll be working so hard and I'll be like so studious and like I'll get all these pots done I'll be like do you know what that's now it's time for a drink and Which it's like your reward, isn't it? Yeah, so I've got to find a different reward. But and release some, as well. I know, but like what, like when art is your hobby as well, like we were mm. trying to work out what I could possibly do for a hobby. I'm not rock climbing. I'm not doing <laughs> I don't want to do are you, are you, it. Are you being forced to rock climb just, by someone? No, but I'm just thinking like, should I yeah. do bowls? I was like oh, thinking no. of things in Margate. Golf. Someone was like, wild swimming. Like Tracy's always natural sea, swimming. Yeah. yeah, and look at her with her jellyfish things. No, it's dangerous. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, so it's really hard because it's like art is the thing I love doing. What other people do for therapeutic release. It's my stressful baby. So it's like, okay, you go and have a drink. So it's kind of like... I don't want to axe throw either. I don't think I'd be good at it. Axe throwing, oh my God. <laughs> Lindsay Mending, that's, that's, that's your next exhibition. Axe um, the other theme that I've always noticed with your work since I've met you is the unruly body and the kind of, the way yeah. that like, um, even in this work here, you've got a shirt that's almost like splitting at the seams and the way that I think we're all, especially growing up in the 90s, that kind of era of perfection and like, I don't know, Tom Ford beauty and everything being so perfect. Mm. And now through social media and the way we're having constant affirmations of trying, you know, what is the perfect mm. body, all this stuff. And I've noticed recently there's loads of exhibitions coming out of this idea of the unruly body. And mm. even Emma's writing a book about it at the moment. But. I think um, I, I always feel like I'm not keeping up with Instagram and stuff like that because I have no resolution with my body. I've been on a diet since I was can remember eating. Sorry, that's made me really sad. But like, that was me just doing my upward stare, don't cry, get through this without crying. I think um, I'm always trying to talk about, well, it's taken me a long time to try and talk about my own complicated, like, relationship. Because I just, I can feel so successful in terms of things that I've done, but I always just think, like, but you look awful. Um, sorry, that's a really hard thing to say. I think when you've been bullied for the way that you've looked and stuff, tears prick your eyes like that because yeah. you're instantly reduced to something. Like, 
I can do as well as I can do, but you can still call me fat and shame me into a sense that I lose every sense of self of what I've achieved just because of what I look like. And I think it's one of the cruelest, I don't know, I don't know why we all do it. And I think that one of the things that I'm trying to show, like someone was like, you're really fat positive. I was like, no, I like being like, oh, well done. You've got a nice boyfriend and stuff. And it's like, no, I'm just trying to live my life freely. I'm just trying to be able to, I'm just not caring or not shrinking into the background quite as much as someone who is larger should be. So what's the small Dante Inferno's nightclub? Which that was like, it's my like Hieronymus Bosch, sort of like my Hogarth gin, like gin alley. Yeah. Is it gin lane or alley? Gin lane, I think. Gin lane, but it's like my version of it because not a lot of women actually do their versions of drink because it's, we shouldn't be talking about it. You know, we expect women to know better with drink. But that nightclub scene is like me when I was like 17 and 18 and just starting to navigate those places. And I don't know if you've had the same thing, but I was bisexual, I was chubby, and I was going into very straight environments and just watching chaos take place, watching people just, you know, always watching your friends getting with people or just feeling so other in that moment and seeing this whole world that exists that you're not quite part of if that makes sense mm. like that wasn't built for you mm. so I'm trying to I'm trying to navigate that sort of space and also not condemn it as well because it was I mean that's the weirdest work I've made hasn't it I think I've lost my train of thought sorry <laughs> no I mean it's incredible well I, I want to get on to talking about how you found ceramic clay as the medium for you to tell your stories. And I, I read a story that Jenny, your mum, who's here today, hello Jenny, uh, sh you credit her for introducing you to sculpture, but via cake making. Yeah, I, I was saying that my, we had some neighbours up the road and it was Tom's 18th and they asked my mum to make the cake, but she doesn't bake. Sorry, I'm not going to shame you, mum. <laughs> she didn't bake but she got like loads of Marks and Spencer's cakes, shoved them together and made him with fondant icing in the bath with <laughs> beers around him. And the cake came out at this party and everyone's like, oh, Jen, that's wonderful. Jen, I was like, I'll have that. <laughs> like, like, I want to bring that into the party. So I, I actually like just did Tracy's Psycho Slut. And yes, a blanket I saw with Lola that. and Jack at TKE. Yeah. yeah. I was like, because there's just something, fondant icing is so much harder to do than clay. It is sticky. It's horrible. It's a horrible job. But then when I went to art school, I, I kind of was in art school at the ready-made sort of era where people like sticking a twig against a wall or, do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. It was a was very this at the RCA? No, this is pre-RCA. This is when I was at Sheffield Hallam. Right. And then I didn't ever touch clay. It's boring. And then actually... Just before RCA, I started using air drying clay and things that I wanted to exist just magically existed really fast. And my, because I have OCD, my brain is so fast. I've never really been interested in other forms of sculpture. And it's in a day you can like have something out of your mind and onto the table. And that immediacy for me and the way that my brain works is brilliant. And it's like the way that you can make something that, you know, like we really do need a hamburger handbag. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's sad the world has been without one. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> it's kind of like, totally agree. You know, and, there's, and people, it's like one of those sorts of things of like clay is so manipulative because people love seeing a, a replica or they love seeing what they know is familiar turning into the uncanny. And I think that 
that's that's why I love it because out the corner of your eye it's so funny because Rob and Carl got me this bag for my birthday and so I'm always going trundling around with it and like I was like well for the steadings we need to have that bag that I leave everywhere on a night out I'm like where's my bag where have I put my bag where's my bag so we've had the bag and there's snakes erupting out of it and ciggies and stuff like that but then in the install, we just kept on thinking I'd left my bag on the... <laughs> but it's like, it's like a really nice moment we all had just being like, oh, it's not your bag, is it? Like, you trickster. And it's just, you know, there is that niceness with it. But also, my brain goes so dark and it just mirrors it back to me. And I, I love making. It makes me sit down. I've said it before. Yeah. It's hard to know what I said on the last podcast, but isn't you it? You work so quick and you work in worlds people come to your work and it's whole rooms. These are whole installations. And it's like, how, how do you do it? How do you imagine these whole worlds? And, and why, why, when you make work, do you have to create these worlds? And it has to be all-encompassing, like the floor yes. and the wallpaper and everything. Yes, this is a good point. I'm going <laughs> no, no, to not, have to say to her again. So mum used to do like Santa's grottos, or if we had a party, like... She did on minuscule budgets. She'd always, it would start and she'd be doing like all this crepe paper. She'd do a transformative thing of the whole room. Wow. And a sense of occasion was always that. And I do think that art is fantastic and I do get very moved by paintings. And But for me, like, I want people to go into something and really experience something. Like, I, I feel like art can only take you to a place and then actually theatrics or the idea of a stage set of, like, a reenactment of a life that you've known can actually hone these points home more because I think that art is a vessel for me to be able to talk about things I really feel we need to talk about. It's not just the piece. It's not just their, like... They're meant to be, the, each show is meant to be a springboard. Like, Till Death Do Us Part was really hard for me and Guy because we were in lockdown. That's the Hayward show. Yeah, and we were arguing and we were really arguing and it was really difficult to tell other people because the minute that you let someone into your relationship, the opinions come in. Yeah. And... They are, the opinions aren't anything that anyone else would ever do. They're just people's opinions. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to live that ordered life. Like, you don't. Your relationship's a shit show. Yeah. But sorry. <laughs> but the idea of this show is saying, like, actually, I love my partner so deeply. We, you know, like, we work together. I really do love you, babe. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> but like sometimes it's just so difficult. And in lockdown when all you had was each other and also all you had was each other and like there was this thing of so in that show there was all the rodents were taking over um the house and going at war with each other and I thought it was just so important to say to people like actually my relationship's not okay if you want to talk to me about yours you know this is a place to do it this is a place where if we just let people talk about it and just have that freedom, then people wouldn't feel so insular and so alone. And I think that's the main thing I want to do with all my work. I want people to feel less alone because I felt very alone in my life and I don't want anyone to feel like that. 
And with this new body of work in the room we're sat in now, um, you chose a white glaze for the first time. And oh, there's something there's something story. about there's something about <laughs> the context within the room, like the work's kind of in a way connecting and interacting with the space we're in so perfectly. So it's quite site specific, but at the same time, it's incredibly it subversive is. because I think people come in and they're like, "Oh, pretty ceramics," and then suddenly they're yeah. like hit with like broken bits of mirror and yeah. this kind of like almost Kubrick like set or stage yes. that's quite sort of like un unsettling in a way. Well, me, Eloise, Claire and Nikki worked so closely together on this one and when we first saw Eloise's drawings, we were like, this is going to be so... I was like, this is going to be cumbersome, it's going to be swamping. And this room is so special to me because it is so beautiful. Yeah. Like anything you bring into it, don't fight it. I didn't want to fight the room. I wanted to like make something that Nikki and Robert could live with, mm. if that makes sense, mm. or just highlight the room. Nikki is upset. I covered the, what's, he, what's his name again? William the William Kent fireplace. But don't worry, there's a spotlight in it. If anyone wants to go and see it afterwards. <laughs> around the back of the set. <laughs> yeah, around the back of the set. I mean, that's to guide you over there. But um, yeah, it was this thing of just like, why don't you not fight it? And I think there's something that happens as I am growing up and maturing as an artist and as you do get more opportunities, this was like, why don't I try to... Why do I always have to go into the abject? What if I made something that was beautiful? What if I allowed myself to show off? What if I allowed myself to, like... And it's a really wonderful thing because with the ceramics, I'm now in Tracy's studios and, like, the people who come around the studios is hilarious. <laughs> like, so I would sort of had my... Um, vases out and then there was Bob Geldof in my studio he's like, <laughs> he's like why aren't you doing these white and I was like cheers Bob I'm not <laughs> and then like Jay come, comes around with Tracy Jay like, Joplin yeah, of and I was like yeah. I think you should do these white and then there's like Alyssa's partner Liz was like have you thought of doing them like, white yet <laughs> and then Tracy said I've got to ring you about something and like that just you know filled you with fear yes dread <laughs> all the things I you know and I was just like oh my god what's it going to be and she's like Lindsay you have to do them white. And like, I was just like, no, this isn't me. But then I was like, well, why is something not you? Why does, do I need color so much? Like, and I think I've always been afraid. I've never thought of myself as much of a ceramicist. I don't know. And so this is the first time where I'm just like, do you know what? I'm gonna just play with the sort of like art history, put yeah. myself within these sorts of, you know, like statues and actually say, you know what, I deserve to be here and I've made some really good pots. God, even just saying that makes me think someone's going to be like, she's so big-headed. <laughs> the <laughs> thing is, though, it's so minimal as well. That's what I like about it. Sure, it's, it's almost minimal. like No, 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 but in, in its excess and over-the-top nature, yeah. there is a minimalism within it somehow. That's what I find so striking about this particular installation is it, it hasn't got, like, hundreds of things surrounding it. It's like, it's just very direct. Babe, I'm looking at it right now and I can't believe it came out of me. Yeah. I mean, like, Eloise, Eloise did this incredible vac skirt. You know, we were can we waiting talk about for this, actually? Because <laughs> this looks like a kind of 1970s like, skirt or yeah, something. Yeah, we always wanted to have a skirt and we were talking about having actually just lame fabric. It's like, yeah. no, it has to be sculptural because one of my favourite things, like I think you can see with all of this, is that I love drapery and sculpture. I think it's really enticing. And I think the history of like looking at drapery and sculpture and like the man with his tummy coming out and the way that you can dig in and carve with the ceramics to create drapes. Like I, it was such a pleasure to do those 
these were very pleasurable, pleasurable to make, but not to fire. It was hell. So, what, yeah, what is a studio practice then? How big is your kiln? Guy comes in, yeah. I go out the room and cry, and he lifts each one into the kiln. And how many can go in at one time? I thought for this show, two. Yeah. One. So we had to double up the fires. So I was just sat by that. But being sat by that kiln and having to do that made the shows over there better because I've had all these hours being like, well, what am I going to do now? And then it was just like, more bags, burger bags. It's like, <laughs> it's like being a chef in some ways. Do you know what I mean? You put something in the oven to cook and then you do the sauce and then you go and work no, no, on it. I mean, no, it is, it is. And like one of the things, I think I would compare it to, again, the cake reference, baking. Yeah. There's that same sense of pride. And like when we opened up the first one and we were like, fuck, it came out. Because we've tried so many different things with this. Like they, they should topple over. Like I've done loads of wench tit. You know, like you can see them here. Mm. Or Nikki says knobbly boobs. Mm. But like when your boobs, that's up. my favourite type Literally of tit. the bust. Yeah. Like, and that's In a corset, it, yeah. tightened up. Like, yeah, yeah. Wench tit is wonderful. Um, <laughs> but actually to do that, you've got to stick a lot of clay up here. So yeah. every time we made one, we'd be making the front and then have to go to the back. And then there'd be a certain point where they start to tip and you're like, oh God, we've got to start doing. So it was a juggling act every day in the studio. So... There is some sort of ceramic gods that allowed this to come out and exist. And they all come out, okay. Because what's the noise that you all dread, ceramicists? Don't. Dung. It's like a dung. Clunk. And then, and then you know that it's... You know it's gone. Dung. That's what happened with Putin's head that one day. What, you made Putin's head, mm -hmm. didn't you, for an installation? Yeah. yeah. And it was really good. It was, yeah. it was. It was a really good Putin head. Like, I've captured his sense of evil. It was... Perfect. Actually, he, what if he listens but, to it? But it survived. Well, he listens it's fine. to it. <laughs> didn't, didn't, did, didn't it survive, though? No, I, I then made it out. You made of, another one? Yeah, so I've made two Putin heads okay. in my lifetime. Wow. That is the thing about ceramics. It does actually make you think, if it does break in the kiln, you just have to say to yourself, how much is this meant to exist? So when we were putting stuff in the kiln, one of the um, Venus flytrap soap dishes with the imperial leather soap in. And the cigarettes. Yep. Yep. That broke, and I didn't think it was a mega piece, but then I realised how much I loved it because I then just... There's something you do, which is, like, you pick yourself up, you breathe, and you just go, right, I'm going to make it again. And you have to square it with yourself. It's like... And it's a really good practice. I think if you are in ceramics, it's a really good practice because you are, con you are consistently picking yourself up off the floor. Like, you're consistently being... The highs and lows are so big. It's like having an artistic career because like after the last show I did I got a very 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 bad review it was Lindsay Mendick is a ceramic letdown I mean I don't remember it or anything <laughs> <laughs> this is a, this currently up at Yorkshire Sculpture yeah, Park yeah but I mean like but what was so brilliant about stuff like that is you understand how resilient you are as a per person because your first thing when something like that happens if you are being reviewed, which is also like a scary thing, is like, I want to run away and hide. I'm never going to make work again. Because it makes you feel like you're at school again. Mm. And then one of those wonderful things happen when you wake up and you're like, nah, fuck it. I love this so much. And I actually stand by what I do. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to wash my hair and I'm going to go back to the sodding studio. Because you're not taking this away from me. And actually seeing yourself go through that journey 
is wonderful. I'm like, have you? I mean, you've probably never had a bad review. Never. <laughs> I can't I don't imagine know what you're anyone. Talking about. No, no, no. But no, it is. No. It is something that's empowering. I get trolled like... a lot. <laughs> just, 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 you know, it's there's a... one particular troll who's really going for me at the moment. Well, we a, we yeah. have a troll as well. Yeah. They, it's you know. a privilege to get bad reviews. To be reviewed. Time. To yeah. be reviewed is a privilege, but to get a bad review in some ways is a privilege because mm. it pushes you on like what you're saying it inspires and also you. I called you and said to you the thing that that writer is actually in dialogue with your work and I felt like they wouldn't have written that review unless they cared because otherwise why would they bother no, putting I mean, it, it into the world but then the thing is it wasn't the review that hurt me yeah, yeah. it was the thing of just being like would you still want to work with me or will Nikki still want to work with me and would she be like fuck we're going to have this you feel like someone else is reading it and going oh they oh yeah crap. they're right yeah, 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 that's I'm not the, gonna, yeah that's and that's the thing, what, when that's, you get a bad review you think everybody's going to read that and think yeah, I'm shit that's the one yeah. thing that yeah. it does to you it's not like it's not what they're saying and like one of the best things that mm. did happen is that you kind of rallied around me Carl and then also I was getting these messages from Tracy and she's like I don't think it's that bad she's just kind of like you know he's talking about all the work it made me want to go and see it but then actually having someone like Tracy who you're able to say I'm really anxious about this she's like she was so honest about what she's been through as a gotcha. female artist and how she has been attacked. I was kind of like, this is part of history. Suck it up and make again, if you know what I mean. And it's, I think the more I'm making, the more I'm having these incredible people in my life that, like there was a point in this show where I felt really like I couldn't do it. And all of you lot rallied around and were just like, come on, we'll get you through. Oh, God. I don't <laughs> but it's like just having that support when you've been on your own for so long mm. in what you do mm. has been wonderful. And that's why we've made what we've made here because we've all supported each other so much. We've all pushed to make the best thing possible. We've all worked our asses off. And this is just a testament to like four women propping each other up and getting it over the line. Mm. And also the beautiful men behind it as well. <laughs> How do you feel about selling your work then? How do you feel about placing it in collections? And also I'd love to talk about, you know, you had collections uh, in Kiev in the Pinchuk Art Centre at the start of the Ukraine war. Mm. Where's all that now? What's happening? Do you have- In the shower at Quench. <laughs> oh, you got it back? It's been returned. They, yeah. they, they returned it, but it, that was ah. one of the most crazy, that was- because you were just there, like, yeah, weeks before. Yeah, we were just before. there. It was just, and it was... Like a week before, wasn't it? No, it was, no, no, it was, like, two months. Oh, was it? It was okay. two months or something like that. But it was the most beautiful, cosmopolitan, incredible city. Like, I think quite often when you hear about things on the news, you don't picture all the incredible people you met, how... And it makes me really sad to talk about, because, like, I think with a lot of artists who all come together, they're like, we should do a joint statement. And... We had nothing that we could, you know, that no one needed to hear from us. It was just a fucking tragedy. And it was like, fuck the work of it's there. Like, there's, there's some things that are bigger than your pieces in that show, mm. if that made sense. Mm. Yeah, you were like, just let it go. I was just like, yes, that's did, got, yeah. It did find its way back I, to I can't believe they did that. Yeah, yeah. But we actually, the work from that show, we actually auctioned off the children's shoes that I had made. And we're working with this amazing, well, we run Quench, me and Guy, together with Gemma Farrow. And she's just, like, created this um, art school for kids in Margate, underprivileged kids in Margate, that she's going to be doing. And all of the money that came from selling off those shoes has gone for these kids to have education. 
Something that's really been resonating with me since I got here was um, Carl mentioned to me how great the Phila Dabalo installation is, you mm. know, the sculpture, the public sculpture outside in, in nature. And it reminded me of a conversation I had with her once about plinths. Because when I first started working with Carl, we were working with a number of sculptors and we always had this ongoing discussion about plinths and plinths and plinths and the kind of the nightmare of how boring white mm. plinths are in a gallery. Do you know what I mean? With, with a sculpture on top. And your show, like the, the Steadings Room, is one of the best installations using kind of plinths that are actually like almost like a set but with yeah. that kind of grid of the, the nightclub grid. nightclub kind yeah. of it's almost like going out to the the um steps the fire exit yeah, outside yeah. of a nightclub or something well we did when we um i mean claire and nikki have been endlessly i'm so sorry have been endlessly patient with us but we we first designed the steadings and we were really getting and like and then i was like eloise we've just designed a fucking toilet We've, we've literally just designed a nightclub toilet. We just drew out a toilet. And I was like, we're artists. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we've, we've got to make something a bit more dynamic. Like, come on, let's just fuck the whole thing up. So, like, it's like, you know, the first pancake. It's like, right, toss that out. What are we doing now? And then we came back with this design, didn't we? And then we were just like, yeah, this is the one. And then it's a really nice moment because whenever I'm working with Eloise, we have this moment where we both know we've got it. Mm. And we like look at each other and we're like, this is it. And when we don't have it, we get quite fraught with each other because we know we're not, we don't have the conviction behind it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with each one of these rooms, I feel like I have so much conviction for them in a way that I've, because we work so closely with Nikki and Claire and we all, Nikki doesn't let you have a single decision. She, we were sat there at lunch, she's like, why are you doing this? And I was like, I don't have an answer for you, so it shouldn't be there. Do you remember when you said that to me? And it was like a really brilliant moment because if you have no reason for it to be there, it shouldn't fucking be there. Sorry for the F-bomb. But like, <laughs> but so what we've done with this show is that she's made me, and that, not made, but like strip away all of the fluff that I would normally do because I was insecure about myself or apologetic for taking up space. And now what I've got are the bones of what is important in this show and for the first time ever like I feel proud of every in a sense of every show I'm proud of what I achieved but there's this has now got to a place where I'm not being apologetic mm. like the work isn't apologetic anymore I'm not going to keep on saying like oh I'm I'm rubbish or blah 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 because I've got to where I have got to and I'm going to celebrate that rather than apologise for it. Where did the pattern on the walls come from in the studding? So when you walk into the nightclub Rob, and, the, and the toilets and stuff, because the 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 way it lifts the space. Art, I said yeah. to Nikki yesterday, like it's unbelievably. It feels like the building's so much taller than it actually is. There's like an optical illusion happening. Well, we, when we were in Japan, me and Guy went to how, how many trick museums did we go to? Two. Oh, they're absolutely brilliant. There's one in Edinburgh. What museums? A trick museum. What's, oh, a trick museum. So basically museum. what happens is you take photos of yourself next to things. Which was the best one? The shark. And it looks like guys dangling out of a shark. You can see oh, it on I my know. Instagram. Oh, you climb into the head, yeah, for example. Yeah, yeah. Or the room's yeah, upside yeah, down exactly. and stuff. And like, yeah, I was yeah. looking at it like, why the fuck are we not doing this? And like everything's <laughs> on Instagram at the moment anyway. So like... We could actually do that. And I really wanted to do an Eames room. I don't know if you know what that is. It's way that one of you looks really small. Yes, yes. And one of you looks makes looks a lot bigger. Again, can see all these pictures of us at the Trick Museum on my Instagram. <laughs> if you scroll down to many pictures my of me on holiday in Japan. My favourite was you guys in a swimming pool that was a wine bottle yes, pouring red water Japan, out. Japan is, was like one yeah. of the most inspiring places in the world for me. 
I really wanted to do this Eames Room. I really wanted to play with distortion and how the fact that when you are pissed, your night out is completely distorted and everything is a fragment. So that bathroom is all the fragments sort of coming together to try and give you this feeling that like the world is rotating or moving in on you and you know the swaying feeling like, I mean, I d of when you like throw up or something like that. So, and all the voices in that room are completely distorted as well. So and there's only snippets of conversation mm. and on the tiles, like I, I didn't know whether I wanted to do it, but I've scratched in quite a few of my anxieties as the, you know, like, was I awful last night? Because every time when I wake up in the morning after being drinking, I'm like, guy, was I awful? Have I offended this person? What have I done? And he has to, uh, God bless you, guy. Thank you. Thank you. But he has to go through all of this with me continuously until, and I have to text every single person that I love and say, was I okay? I'm so sorry. But what's funny is that I get that back from other people and like other friends and stuff like that. But like, all of that's within this work. I want to, I want you to be able to have the positive. Yeah, I think but also so. there was a there's a sense in that film in particular the idea that that women somehow or perhaps yourself you you have a, a different reaction to how guy would react. So you both have a, a shame in the morning, but yours is way more intense. Mine engulfs me. Like, yeah. and I think that that's the way that it's really hard because I don't I I don't want to go into these sorts of subjects. But the way that we shame women of if they drink too much and anything happens to them, it's like, she should have known better, not he should have known better. He, yeah. or, you know, and we live with that as well as the, like the guilt of letting go in a way that I know that men feel, I think I'm quoting the film verbatim, but like, I know men feel shame with drink. I know that they have very complicated relationships with it. But I was reading this incredible study about the, um, types of shame that women feel compared to the types of shame that men feel and women are already feeling this shame for wanting too much not earning enough not not looking after their children enough all of these different things that they live with shame on a daily basis they don't feel suddenly ashamed we live within shame so this is just another facet of shame that comes out and I really wanted to kind of show like, I'd be like, why do you do it with it? You know what I mean? Like, why would you drink? And it's like, well, I drink because I am ashamed. And then I'm more ashamed because I did that. And so... This is the shame cycle. Yeah, it's a shame cycle. It's a perpetual shame cycle where... And I wanted just to show that, honestly, I have no resolution for this, but I wanted to show it. So if anyone is in that sort of spiral that I can find myself perpetually in, I wanted us to be able to talk about it because I don't think there's enough space for women to talk about these sorts of things. I mean, it's, there needs to be space for everyone to talk about these things, but with my lived experience, like I feel like I, there needs to be more space. I'd love to uh, open up this conversation to some questions from our audience, if that's okay. Um, if anybody's got a question, please raise your hand up. Excellent. So, uh, <laughs> so well, terrifying. What, what people are thinking. They're desperate to leave let's now. Just, let's just, let's just t like, before we get into the final questions then, let's there talk about... Oh, hand up, oh yeah, what was the... Oh, what's Jupiter Rising and the thing you're curating for Jupiter Artland? Well done, Claire. Never stop. Like, literally, I've just finished this show and they, they turn around and be like, so Jupiter Rising, I was like, <laughs> give me some space. <laughs> so what is Jupiter Rising? That's going to be a festival in the middle of August. I'm just going to give the mic to Claire. Come on, Claire. 16th. What day is it? <laughs> Jupiter Rising, there's going to be a festival that's going to be on the 19th of August. It's a free festival, 18 and over. Guy will be doing a poem. <laughs> 
but we'd, we're curating it with Bonjour Collective, who are an incredible collective in Glasgow. And I will be making sausages dressed as a pig. Are you going to make a, vegan sausages at all? Or? No, get no. out. Get out, all right. I mean, like, they wouldn't even be vegan. I'm just going to have my blood, sweat and tears in it. So, you know, it's not going to be vegan. <laughs> Human. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. We're all worried about the health and safety of that. And aren't you doing a talk with somebody? I think I am. I am doing a talk with my new best friend. <laughs> Your new best friend? <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, though, because I watch her on the TV so much. Lena Dunham. There you I, are. I know, but I just feel stupid saying it because I'm in love with her. Yeah. She bought me this necklace she's that I'm wearing. Aww. And like, um, she's, she actually, I was so nervous about the script. I gave it to women that I... It's really weird to talk about with stuff like this, but I gave it to women that I really trust and men. And, um, oh, yeah, sent yeah, it to me, you. didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Yay! But I mean, you are part of my girlfriend group. Do you know what I mean? I like, yeah. <laughs> so I sent it to Nikki, and then my friend, um, Rebecca's a singer, Self Esteem. I sent it to her. The group's getting ridiculous now. And I sent it to Leila Dunham, and I was just like, can I say this? Because I'm terrified of... I'm terrified about speaking about this. I'm terrified about being cancelled. I'm just terrified. And... It's really weird because, you know, when you see Paula Rago's work and you're like, she's fearless. Yeah. I make, I don't think she is. I think, well, she was. I think she made work because she was terrified. And there's that, like, pertinent sort of need to kind of, like, because you're so scared of something, we need to talk about this. And, like, I sent it to these, all of these, and Nikki as well and Claire and all of these people and was just like, please, can you prop me up with this? If you know what I mean, like, mm. can you give me your honest opinions about this? And I think there's quite a lot of artists who do work in quite an insular way. But with me, I just, I never have. I'm it's a big team. But also, I think there's a yearning within you to go further as well, somehow. It's almost like with the, I heard the first edit of the film, you felt like it maybe wasn't going far enough. So there's almost like a, you want, you want to reveal the real truth. I don't want to. Truth. I don't want to, to, but I just, I to. hate I feel like if you're like faking something, everyone else can tell. And like if if the shots of me didn't show, like there's a really sad shot of me where I'm just obviously gone and I'm just like not looking at anything properly. And it's so fucking painful to watch. It's like, so that needs to be in there. And I'm not gonna go near that film anymore. I've seen it once. I Guy's film is beautiful. Thank yeah. you, Guy. Like you are an incredible filmmaker. You and are, previous right. talk podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> guy talking about his so, films. so you run Quench together, which is. Uh, I am very much a backseat now in that one. Oh, you are. Something had to give. But what was what? What is Quench then? For people visiting Margate, this is another mu uh, gallery space that yeah. is on the. Um, so, kind of in the pandemic, we both Guy and I, we were kind of seeing a bit of an echo chamber. Was kind of like actually artists. We could support other artists. We were seeing how my editions sold. And I I don't think either of us have ever wanted to pull up the ladder or just be like, you know what, we're doing this because the most wonderful thing about Quenches is that we bring all of these artists to Margate and we get to be like have dialogue with them. And it, meeting other makers is the like richest thing you can do as mm. an artist. Like it's not about just showing stuff, it's meeting like-minded people. And um so we wanted to keep that going. And it, it's now, is it two and a half years we do it? Coming up to third year? So Guy actually runs Quench. We also run it now with Gemma Farrow because 
and she's sort of a youth coordinator we really are trying to do more things like it's in Margate you cannot just dump something there you have to be part of the community and if you don't want to do that it's not the right place for you the idea is like sort of like you know the way that your openings they're very open everyone comes to them the way that Margate feels to me is a place where the possibility is endless but you have to give in as much as you take if that makes sense and you've given um, many artists their first ever like proper solo exhibition and also helped great artists like Michaela Yewadan um, curate show did Michaela she curated a show show. yeah Yeah, I mean like no one helps Michaela Michaela is Michaela (laughs) she's like she's like who I want to be when I grow up (laughs) and then and actually she's a lot younger than me but like the idea isn't like there are a few people who have had a first show but I think when you, especially like how I am an installation artist, it takes a big punt of someone to say, actually, yeah, we'll do this. I'm going to do this with you or you can do this. And so what we try and do with Quench is try and find the people who actually this would be a great juncture in their work. It's like Sam Keelan, who just did the most incredible show. And it was like he managed to realise something bigger than he had before. Mm. The support goes each way and continues. I think he's like a fabulous artist. And like, I don't know why you just want to do it on your own. We have this opportunity to help others. We have this opportunity to like... You're building a community with that space and you're bringing artists to market. I don't want to build my own. No. I want you to be my friend. I am your friend. (laughs) I love you. But also you give the artists... All the all the money from their sales. A lot of galleries will take a and percentage. And you give them a budget of two grand, don't you? We you yeah, the budget changes. I mean, at the moment we're on the second thing of trying to fight for arts council funding. Right. I don't know if we'll continue. If it's it's very difficult to get funding, and we're trying to give as much as we can, but we also do need that support back. Mm. What uh, if you could do an art heist? You could steal any work of art in the world for yourself. Do you remember what your previous answer was and has Mine's that changed? Mine's the same with Nikki's. <laughs> Me and Nikki had the same one. Your twins. So, right, okay. It was the birth of Venus because... Botticelli. Yeah, but now if I'm allowed another one... Yes, you are. I'd go back and I'd get Tracy's um, Everyone I Ever Slept With. Oh, the tent. Because that was the work that made me want to be an artist because I just thought it was so... Is this a word? Rambunctious. Yeah. What does that mean? It was just, it was just so like seeing that as a 15 year old and she'd written everyone I've ever slept with and the tenderness that went into it, that it was unborn children. It was what she did in that piece was one of the most, like it was so honest and it was so incredible. And like, I mean, I copied it, which I have told her. I not even like was inspired by it. I made my own blanket and I did everyone I've ever kissed. Wow. And I wrote of the 50 people in school I kissed. This is something that your mum can be proud of. And then uh, other people signed their names on it because being like, I did snog her. (laughs) (laughs) Sadly, this tent no longer exists. I think it's, I think it's in the fire. In the MoMA fire, yeah. It's so sad and. Maybe we should have kept my recreation. <laughs> <laughs> she she described that as like carving out tombstones. I think when she I, was like um, stitching all the fabric and cutting it all by hand, and in her just, Waterloo flat, I think it was. Yeah, it was just so tender and like one of the things that I love the most about Tracy is that like she will tell you that she will make art from nothing, and those sorts of works and that one there is the simplicity of it. 
and how beautiful it was. I think, yeah, if I could have that in my house. I actually do own a Tracy Emin. She made me and Guy for our joint, but me and Guy have the same birthday day. It's <laughs> fucking awful. <laughs> Lindsay Mendick day no more. You know, it's now Guy and Lindsay day. But I was actually at her house and she had all these lampshades and she was like, oh, do you know what? She's like, I think I'm, I'm going to do these for people as presents. I was like, oh, mine and Guy's birthday's coming up. She's like, don't ask because you won't get one. And then she came to my birthday party and then it was like the lampshade and she'd drawn telly on it. She'd Aww. drawn about 50 vaginas. <laughs> and now it like lives in our spare room and I'm just like walk past it all the time. Just be like, fuck me, a 15 year old me could see that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it, like sometimes you just got to look back at stuff like that and just be like, yeah, all right. Gratitude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other question we ask every guest is, what is your favourite colour? Has that shifted since we last... From spoke? yellow? Or did I <laughs> well, say actually, the, I don't know, actually. I can't remember what you said. But I, I, when, when we got you that Versace bag, that, mm. that greeny, yellow, acid right. colour. No, because we're going to have a bit of a problem here because I can't tell. Chartreuse is my favourite colour. Every time what I wear... Chartreuse? <sighs> Oh, that that's green, the colour. That oh, sorry, color. I didn't know yeah, that had a name. everyone tells me it's yellow. Or, or, like, everyone, I think chartreuse is yellow. Anyway, I've had some really big arguments about it. Fair let's, enough. Let's have a big, <laughs> you know, like, how can I, my favourite colour have so much, like, pain attached to it? It reminded me of the, the hair, your hair colour when I first met you. Yeah, that was my chartreuse slash neon yellow time. <laughs> <laughs> chartreuse sounds much more fancy. What's chartreuse. the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your work? Do you know what? Now I'm looking at these. Tracy ringing me and saying, actually, she rung me. And then I said, I'm going to do them a light colour. And I pinged that to her on Insta. And she said, well, show me the colours first. I was like, okay. So I showed her the colours. She's like, no, white. And she said, why aren't you doing it? She said, the white show that I did was one of the biggest things to me. Why are you not doing it? And I said, because I'm scared. And she was like, do it. So. So we're going to see more... No. Work in white going forward. <laughs> no, so it's just it's just this body work for the moment, or have I, you got? It's this is. I just you. I don't want to keep on making the same work. The next show, I've got it in my head, like, and I know what the next show is going to be. I don't even have like anything lined up, but I can feel it brewing. Now I'm 35. I feel this show in my bones, and it will definitely not be white. Amazing. Exciting times. Well, God, yeah, you. teaser. Thank you. We are, <laughs> we are lucky to be alive at the same time as Lindsay Mendick. God, That's we can't do the private view now. Amen. What time is it? Fuck me. Come on in. Lindsay Mendick, thank you so much. Jupiter Artland um, has this show on until the end of September. It's really worth making the adventure to come and see the show. To Edinburgh. Get but out even there, just to see to Jupiter Artland, though. Yeah. Like, if you've never been to Jupiter Artland, it's actually what I would describe as heaven. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree. It's just it's a an artwork and it. A win, 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 win situation. <laughs> and, um, we want the tourists for Lindsay. We love you, Lindsay. Yay, me! <laughs> yeah, for all images, go to at Talker and at Lindsay Mendick and at Jupiter Island. I love you we'll too. I really love you. Thanks right. for listening. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening.